Attention men, are you wanting to break free from porn or other unwanted sexual behaviors, but finding it seemingly impossible to quit? If so, we can help. My name is Jonathan Darty, the founder of Gateway to Freedom. This three-day workshop is for any man who wants to overcome any kind of unwanted sexual behavior. So whether you're married, single, or divorced, this powerful and proven intensive weekend will help you uncover what is at the root of your struggle and discover the man God always created you to be. Space is limited, so call us today at 210-822-8201 to register. That's 210-822-8201 or visit bebroken.org slash gtf. Good day, listeners. Jonathan Darty here with another edition of the Pure Sex Radio program. Pure Sex Radio is produced by Be Broken Ministries. Be Broken's mission is to help men, women, and families move from sexual brokenness to wholeness in Christ and equip others to do the same. Today's guest is Matt Klein, the director of Restored Ministries in Edmonton, Alberta. He's a speaker and coach who considers it an honor to tackle the epidemic of pornography and help individuals and marriages be restored from the destruction caused by sexual sin and shame. In this episode, Matt shares some of his story and key principles and insights that are proven to lead people from brokenness to wholeness. Our conversation addresses taking a serious view of sin, combating shame, understanding your true identity, and reclaiming a godly perspective on the body. Learn more about Matt and his ministry's resources at restoredministries.ca. For more resources, visit BeBroken.com or check out links in today's show notes. And please rate and review the podcast after listening to help others find it. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Well, all right, Matt Klein, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. It's so good to chat, Jonathan. Yeah, I've I've been really excited over the last few years to uh, to to really start to build quite a network of Canadian friends. So uh, tell us again where you're located. Yeah, the Great White North up here in Edmonton, Alberta. For um, for you Americans, we're about six six and a half hour drive north of Montana. So um, we're we're far north, but you know what? We're actually in the southern part of Canada. So there's people that are a twenty four hour drive north of us that call us the Southerners. <laughs> so wow! Right now, there's about six foot. Uh, snow piles outside our house and so it's uh it's it's winter time but we're getting yeah, warmer guess, we're getting warmer i guess southern is relative to wherever your 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 point of reference is right so exactly uh, exactly well hey we're so excited to have you on the program um uh i wanted to have our our listeners and viewers first of all just kind of get to know you through you telling your story and and then how you got into uh, this space of ministry and what you're doing with uh, with restored ministries there in Canada. Sure, yeah. I mean, it's you know when we're in grade one, your teacher says, "What do you want to do when you grow up?" Nobody says, "I want to talk about porn for a living." <laughs> right. But uh, but I was I was 11 when I started watching porn when when a friend showed it to me and just instantly hooked and uh, and, uh, and and I was I was the whole time feeling guilty, but I always thought that I would quit watching before I got married. And so I guess it wasn't a, an urgent thing when I was 13, 14 years old, like I got to stop, I'll get married soon. And so it, it just was something that I continued on doing, even though I had that guilt. And so when I was 20, 20 or 21 years old, I just had this thought, I thought, you know, I, I want to start something like AA, 
but for pornography in the church. And I didn't know if it was from the Lord or if it was just me or when I would do it or if I would do it. But I just had this thought that just kind of stuck with me. And and so I was 21 years old then and I was watching pornography and and I had this thought that, you know, I want to, I, I, I still, I want to get done done watching porn by the time I get married. And so I want to be porn free for a year before I date. And so this was in the middle of watching pornography that I thought this. And so I just closed the computer and I really didn't get tempted at all for about eight months. And so in my mind, I'm going, wow, I made this great decision <laughs> and and now it's just done. I'm going to be done forever. But I grew up in the church. My dad's a pastor. There's lots of pastors in my family. And I always, I always believed in Jesus, but I didn't always have the maturity of the relationship with the Lord that, that I think is crucial in this. And so in that time frame, when I thought that I was just going to be done porn forever, it, it was more, I made a good decision. I'm, I, uh, I'm going to be, you know, porn free forever because I made a good decision. I've chosen to get free of this before marriage. And so, I never grew in my relationship with God and understanding my heart and understanding the lies that I believed or or anything. And so uh, two and a half years later, I was working and my boss said something about this this pornography site that he had visited that he was describing it and it sounded so weird, like nothing that I would ever be into. And I had just gotten my first iPhone. And so that night, the thoughts kept coming to my mind, well, what was he talking about? Why would he be interested in that? It sounds weird. Why would he like that? And maybe I could just go check. Maybe I could just look at it. I wouldn't be into it anyway. Maybe I'll just look for 30 seconds. And so I went and I went to the site and I don't even remember what it was because within 30 seconds, I was just back to my old go-to website that I would always go to and, and I just felt horrible. But it was another two and a half year battle, really worse than ever, um, of, of just being stuck in porn. And so throughout that entire two and a half year time frame of my second go around with, with porn addiction, I was praying and I was going, God, why, why did I have something that was so strong the first time that I want to be porn free for a year before I date? And that was strong enough, but now it's not strong enough. Mm. Give me something that's strong enough, like an anchor that I can hold on to. And at the same time, I would be I'd be praying and I'd say, God, I want to be used by you. I want to advance your kingdom. I want to impact people around the world. And and I was in a church service and I just felt the Lord whisper to me and he said, Matt, I so want to use you, but you've got to get pure. And those were just the words that that he spoke to me because he knew that 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 would resonate to me. And so I watched pornography one more time after that, but then I, I quit and I knew that it was kind of, it, that it was a last time. But what he did was special. He started drawing me into this great relationship with him. And I had, had this burning passion where I would just prioritize Bible reading and prayer and spend hours in prayer and learn worship and just not even just worship on a Sunday, but worship at 2 a.m. in the morning when I was tempted to, to masturbate or tempted to go watch porn. And I would just turn to him and grow in my relationship with him. And so I started learning intimacy. I started learning just the pursuit and God's strength in my weakness. And so that's been what has led to now forever freedom from pornography. And also in that time frame, he said, I want you to go start this ministry. But I just want to say this one thing to kind of 
end my thoughts here. When he said that I want to use you, but you've got to get pure. A lot of people hear that and go, but he uses broken vessels. We're all broken vessels. And it's, it's for sure true. But what he was saying to me was, I want it, I want you to get pure by pursuing intimacy with me. And through developing intimacy with me, there's going to be fruit from your life. And so with everything that we do in our ministry, we're focused not even primarily on helping guys get free of their sexual addiction, but learning who they are in Christ and how to experience the love of the Father, because that leads to freedom, but also leads to so much fruit in their life. And so that was kind of the journey that the Lord took me through, and that was that's, that's now the foundation for our ministry. Yeah, that's great. You know, as you're saying that, one of the things that uh, <clears throat> pops into my head is that uh, sometimes I think we, we're living in a time now where, uh, you know, it seems like w- with every few generations, the pendulum gets swung between these ideas of grace and truth as it relates to our relationship with God and our experience of that transformative work um, in our lives. Yeah. And I feel like we've been in a time maybe where the pendulum has been swung so far maybe to the grace side that it's sort of like, listen, yeah, you, we're all broken vessels and God uses broken vessels. He can't use anything but broken vessels. And in some ways we're kind of saying it doesn't matter what you do in your relationship with sin, if I could put it that way. Yeah. Why is that dangerous? And how do you help people see the need to have a serious view of righteousness, a serious view of the reality of what sin actually does in our lives and how that's not opposed to the grace message that you're ultimately bringing to people. Yeah. Well, one thing that I like to say is Jesus was the least broken vessel of all time and he was used the most. So there is a correlation between our pursuit of holiness and in scripture saying, be holy because I am holy Mm -hmm. and be sanctified. And it's God's will that we be sanctified. There's a correlation between that and how much he really can work through our lives. In John 4, it says uh, to, to, to drink the living water so that we'll never thirst again. And then in John 7, it says that the living water will flow, fr- flow through us to the people around us. And so John 4 is first, drink of the Lord, drink of the living water, get cleansed, have him inside of you. And then John 7 is now it will go out and spill over to people around you. But to be honest with you, the, the fact that he wants to work through our lives is actually secondary in this pursuit of, of grace and truth. Because the truth is, he wants us free of sin because he just so loves us. That is his primary. His primary isn't, I want to work through you. His primary is, I want to be intimate with you because I love you and I love your heart and I love your soul. And so right now... Uh, my wife is has been falsely accused by some people right now as we're speaking and there's been some tension and she's been you know called names and i'm rising up as a husband with this protective even anger towards what's happening and wanting to defend my wife and it's the same thing with jesus to us that when his bride is stuck in sin and we've been accused by the enemy and we're in bondage he rises up not because he's like, hey, I want to use this person primarily. He's like, I love this person. And so if you're listening or watching, just know like the Lord loves you so much more than than we can understand. And so when he sees us being kind of lackadaisical with 
with having sin in our, sin in our life, he, he's so longing for you to experience the freedom over that sin so that you can live in the abundant life that he has for you. That's so good. And, you know, I think, um, you know, one of the things that we see in our ministry all the time, and I know that you see it all the time, too, is, and I like the fact that you brought up that idea of accusation. Uh, another way to maybe even frame that is, is a word we use a lot, and we, we call it shame. And I think a lot of times what comes in through all kinds of sexual brokenness and sexual sin is this idea of shame. Can you, can you help us understand maybe a definition of how you would describe shame and then why it's so important that that is something that has to be battled and, and how you go about doing that in your ministry? Sure, yeah. Um, a definition of shame would be, would be speaking an identity over yourself that contradicts God's identity over you. Um, we can't afford to have a thought in our head about ourselves that doesn't align with God's words. And, and so shame is, you know, it's a primary weapon of the enemy. And we see it right away with Adam and Eve, where they fall into sin and right away they're ashamed. And, and it's a self-focused mindset. You're thinking about you. You're thinking, I'm no good. I'm just a sinner. I'm just a failure. Um, the Lord says, no, you're free. No, you're loved. And so when we say things about ourselves based on what we've done, we just go, man, I'm just an addict. I'm just a failure. I'm just a disappointment. I, I, that's who I am. And so when we read then, hey, we want to, you know, like I said before, be, be holy because I am holy, God says. Well, you read that and you go, but that's not me. I'm just a disappointment. And so when temptation comes, you're just going, I am a disappointment. I am a failure. Why would I even try to battle this thing? Because all I ever do is fail. And so we got to get our identity right. And so shame comes and tells us who we are based on our sin. But God says and it says who we are based on the sacrifice of Jesus. And so this is a huge deal for the Lord because it's a primary weapon that the enemy uses against us to wrap us in shame and hinder our walk. But one of the stories that I love about this is in Luke 7, where there's the story of the, the woman who is a sinner and she's known as a sinner and she's lived a lifestyle of sin. And she comes to the Pharisee's house where Jesus is and she's bawling, like she's timid, she's, she's scared. And she won't even look him in the face. She's looking, she's behind Jesus. And she's wanting to worship, but she only worships with what she thinks she can bring to the Lord. She can't even look him in the face. But I love what Jesus does because the Pharisees are accusing her and thinking like, man, if he only knew who she was. And that's what we think when we're in shame. If, if people only knew who I was, they wouldn't want to be around me. And so because of that, we isolate. And so we might isolate from people physically, like we don't even see people. Or we might isolate our souls. We might isolate who we are. So we're with people, but we're not being open. We're, we're pretending that we're a certain way or that we have certain victories where we're actually being defeated. And so we've got to open our souls rather than spending our life in isolation. This woman is such a beautiful picture of this where she could have isolated herself. She could have stayed home. She could have gone, man, Jesus is the Holy One. I'm a sinner. I can't be in his presence. But instead, she pursued him, and she didn't even do it perfectly or fully, but she did it as well as she thought she could. And the Pharisees are accusing, going, "If only Jesus knew who she was, she he wouldn't be he wouldn't or who who she was, he wouldn't spend time with her." 
And Jesus turns and he looks her right in the face. And she didn't think that she was worthy of that. But he gave her such dignity going, no, I'm going to look you right in the face. And then he looks at the Pharisees and says, hey, this woman, and they've called her a sinner and he calls her a woman. And then he says to her, it's because of your great love that you are forgiven, that you're experiencing my presence, that you can now go in peace. And I hear that and I go, your great love. He says to this woman, you have great love. And I'm like, but he's, she's lived a life of sin. But I think that Jesus is so about seeing even a glimpse of worship, a glimpse of love, of pursuing him. And he'll speak that over you. And so even when we've been in sin and we feel like we're just a shameful person, we really have to pursue God even to the, some degree, to some small degree, even if that's the best that we think we can do. And we got to get God's words over ourselves and live this life of not being in isolation, but of being open and, 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 and receiving love from the Lord and also from people. So let's talk, let's break that down a little bit into some, into a practical uh, application, yeah. because, you know, I can imagine some people listening and even we've had, we've had people come through our ministry that they hear this initial idea of it's about identity and there's a false identity being spoken over you and God's wanting you to understand your true identity. But how do we bring that into a level where it's like, what does that look like practically day in and day out with the internal battle, the mental battle, the spiritual battle that's going on in my soul about this false identity? What does it look like for a person to begin to actually receive the truth about their identity. How does that happen? Um, how does counseling play into that? How does group play into that? What 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 is the role of other people in terms of helping that to happen? Sure, uh, there's a couple of things that I'll answer with, but one is I remember I had this this year and a half time frame where I I was experiencing the Lord in a amazing way, uh, supernatural. There were miracles happening. I was hearing his voice like crazy. And, and then it kind of stopped and it wasn't because he changed, but I stopped pursuing. I stopped spending uh, the same amount of time in prayer and all of that. And so I was feeling really guilty and, and, and just saying like, you know, I'm letting the Lord down and, and uh, and maybe that year and a half was something that that was unique that I can't continue on with. And I was praying and I was just feeling bad. And the Lord said to me in prayer, he said, I still know who you are. And I went, that is such a fascinating response because he wasn't talking about, hey, go back in prayer. Hey, go read your Bible and go do these things. He spoke to my identity. I still know who you are. And what he was saying was, I know you have a heart for me. I know you still love me. And that encouraged me to come back to him. And so I think that the, the, the first way is whether it's in prayer and hearing God's voice or going to scripture and getting an identity scripture about yourself, uh, I think that's really powerful to get God's words over you and to speak that over you all the time. Just a buddy uh, a few days ago was saying to me that he was reading through Colossians and whenever it spoke about how God sees people, he just personalized it and he put his name in there and he was just, he had about five or six scriptures that he personalized. And so uh, even another one is when, when it says that the old is gone and the new is here, you can say, man, the new me is here. I am new in Christ. That is me. And you speak that over yourself. I think that's really powerful. But then with people and in group, 
uh, it's very powerful to think, what am I scared of sharing? So I talk about isolation, and that's what we do when we're in shame. We isolate ourselves. What am I scared of sharing? And I don't just say to people, hey, you got to share what you're scared of. I say, think about why you're scared of sharing it. Why is it that you're scared? What are you hesitating for? Are you worried that if people really knew you, that they wouldn't love you? Well, then you're a person that's desiring love and you're desiring identity. And so you've got to understand what is it that's stopping you? Are you scared because you've been hurt before and somebody has told you that you're just a failure or you'll never add up to anything? If that's the case, you've got to look at the truth because the truth is always the opposite of a lie. And so when you're, when you're vulnerable with somebody and they love you back, somebody in shame is often um, hesitant to receive the love or they'll say maybe, oh, that's just fake or that was one time. But when you can take your thoughts captive and go, no, I was loved by this person. That was real. I felt really good being vulnerable. When I was vulnerable, I felt a release in my body. And you dwell on these times that you've, that you've moved past shame and you dwell on the positives and the experiences that you've had on a, uh, on a positive light. Uh, you dwell, you, you praise God, you dwell with him in that. Like, God, you led me to be vulnerable. You led me to, pu- to push through shame. I really encourage people to take thoughts captive in that sense, in a positive light to dwell on the positives of what they've done when they push through shame because it gives you an experience that you can point to where next time you feel shame, you can go back and go, okay, no, I I pushed through it that time and I felt great. I can do this again. And so those are some of the practical things that I think that people can do to push through shame. Yeah. You know, another thing I think we need to talk about that's closely tied to this issue of shame is the fact that when a person has uh, mishandled their body essentially through pornography or their body has been used in a way that was not honoring God, whether by their own will or by the force of someone else. In other words, there's been sexual brokenness, sexual sin. Um, Sometimes the way that shame then can interact with a person is seeing the body itself, the physical being and, and the physicality of life as an inherently negative thing. Another way to put it is body's bad, spiritual things are good. How do you help a person navigate to a place where they realize their body is not bad and that the physical is not bad? It's all it's all part of God's creation as well. And that it's more of a stewardship issue than it is about whether or not there's something inherently wrong about their bodies. Right. Yeah, that's a good question. I remember I was I was beating myself up a few years ago and and I I really sometimes I think I hear the Lord's voice I'm not really sure sometimes it's like whoa that was God this was one of those times and so I was beating myself up and I just heard the Lord say very clearly and strongly hey when you speak about yourself that way you're telling me that my creation was no good mm. and I was going whoa this is crazy because in scripture it says that you know, when God made all of the other things, he says that it was good. But when he made mankind, it was very good. And so when I'm beating myself up in any way, spirit, soul, or body, we're not honoring 
what God did in creation. We're not honoring the high price that Jesus paid for us. And so like you say, it's body also. It's not just spirit and soul, but it's our body also. And so in Romans 12.1, it says to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord, for this is our true and proper worship. And I read that and it kind of blows my mind because we grow up in church and there's praise and worship and that's just what worship is. But our true and proper worship in Romans 12 says to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And I like in Romans 6 too that that uh, that it talks about present the members of your body. It doesn't just talk about your body as a whole, but it talks about the members of your body. And so one of the things that we like to do with people in our ministry is we pray through our body parts, the members of our body. And so there might be parts of our body that that we like or parts of our body that we don't like, but we've got to realize that that if it's a if it's something that we can present as a sacrifice to the Lord and that that's an act of worship, the Lord doesn't look or ask for sacrifices uh, of things that are no good, that have no value. He wants us to sacrifice things that have the highest value, the best of what we have. And so if he's saying, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, that means that our body is really valuable to him. And so when we pray through, you know, hey, God, what did you have in mind when you made my eyes? You know, it might be that, hey, I made your eyes so that you could see my beauty in this world. Mm -hmm. Wow. So you didn't make my eyes to watch pornography or to be, you know, you know, hooked on that person on the street when you see that they're a hottie. It's like you made me to see beauty. What that can do is even if you see an attractive person on the street, now you see God's beauty in that person rather than just going, oh, I just got to turn my eyes away. You can see them as Jesus sees them. And so we pray and we go, God, what did you have in mind when when you made my hands? And we just kind of sit and just silence and listen and and hear what God has to say. And God, I thank you for my private parts. What did you have in mind when you made those? And we have this relationship with our body where we're presenting our body to the Lord. And we're going, I want to dedicate my hands to you. I want to dedicate my eyes to you. I want to sacrifice each member of my body to you and really worship you in doing this. And it changes the way that we view our body, not from being what you're talking about, just this shameful, sinful thing, but it's something that we can honor the Lord with in such a cool way. And so one more thing that that I love in Scripture um, in this conversation is in 1 Thessalonians 4, and at the end of chapter 3 and moving into 4, it talks about, you know, living right for the Lord and live as in the way that you've been taught and please God with your life and stuff like that. And then it says that the will of God is for you to be sanctified, so therefore abstain from sexual immorality. And I think, why doesn't it talk about don't get drunk <laughs> or don't be a thief? Because it's talking about being sanctified in all ways. But it, it says abstain from sexual immorality. Because that church, it was such a prominent sin in that time. And so if we're going, man, this is a prominent sin for me. Well, the Lord mm-hmm. is going, if you can learn to control your body, like it says further in First Thessalonians 4, in a way that's holy and honorable, then that is such a, such a key process in learning more of how to live out Christ in your life. And so our body is now a tool that we can sacrifice to the Lord 
We can see it as a true and proper worship when we sacrifice. We can present our members. We can see it as something of a teaching tool even to learn how to live a holy and honorable way to conquer sin in our body. It's such a beautiful thing that the Lord has given us, that he's given us this body that's tangible, that we can see, that we can present to him in these ways. Yeah, one of the things I'm hearing you say that that kind of uh, goes together in both the idea of overcoming shame and then also recognizing the goodness of your body is that it's really about alignment. Um, when When our alignment of our identity is congruous with how God sees us, then there naturally or ought to be then an alignment in how we manage our bodies. When there's a misalignment because, hey, we're, we're adopting shame lies about our identity, there's likely then going to be a misalignment in how we use our body. Can you speak a little bit to how these things are so interwoven, both the internal quote unquote spiritual and the actual physical, and that from God's perspective, they were always meant to be congruous they were never meant to be something that's divided or separated well yeah that was really good um the lord is the lord is so interested in our wholeness right like holistic health and and when we don't value ourselves it's an indication that we have shame and so if we think of ourselves as just being uh, a sinful person, a disappointment, a failure, all of these things that we say when we're in shame, why would we value our body? Why yeah. would we Why would we even think that we can conquer sin in our body? And so understanding how God sees us and trumping shame, as you're saying, it really is congruent with how we view our body because we're not going to put our bodies in a position uh, where they're beat up or where they're being misused if we really truly value our bodies. Um, I have a friend who, uh, friends, and, and they're quite wealthy. And I was at their house in the summer, and they have a little Porsche where the trunk is in the front, the trunk isn't in the back, <laughs> and so you got to pay extra money for that. And uh, and so I went in their garage when I when I got to their house in the summer, and and he was putting his hockey equipment because we're in Canada and we all play hockey. So he was putting his hockey bag in the front of his car in the trunk. But we were under the lift in their garage. And so we were, we were both taller guys and we were bent over because we couldn't stand up straight. And so we were talking about this lift. And he said, yeah, in the winter months here in Canada, I put the car on the lift and it just saves room in our garage. I lifted up six feet. And, and I was thinking about that, that he so values his car that he won't put it in mucky conditions where it might get wrecked. And if we understand how God views our bodies, we won't want to engage in sexual sin and sexual immorality because our bodies will get wrecked. There's mucky mm-hmm. conditions there. Our bodies are going to be damaged. Pornography might lead to erectile dysfunction. It'll lead to rewiring our brain. It'll lead to having not as good sex or no sex with our spouse. And so if we really truly value ourselves and understand how God sees us, we will value our bodies. And so on the flip side of that, if we're not valuing our bodies, that's an indication of shame and of not seeing the value that God has on us. And so we've got to identify that. That's so good. Well, Matt, this has been a great conversation. As we kind of wrap up here, um, where can our listeners go to just learn more about your ministry, your resources? Um, And I know you've got a podcast as well. So how can our listeners get connected with you? Sure. Yeah. Thanks. There's uh, the Pure Victory podcast. It's on any app, um, any podcast app that you have. 
The website is restoredministries.ca, Canadian website, but there's people from all over the world, obviously, that get in touch, which is very cool. And there's programs for uh, people, men and women in addiction, uh, different interactive programs where we'll give you support. We have trained leaders that help you. Uh, there's in programs where you can just go through things on your own. There's help for wives. Uh, we have a, a female coach who's training leaders there, and she helps wives uh, of, of husbands or girlfriends of, of, of guys who are struggling with sexual addiction. And then on Facebook, it's Restored Ministries. On Instagram, it's Restored underscore community, and there's daily content that goes out there, and we're able to interact with the community, and it's really fun. So... I'd love to be in touch with anybody, and I just love being personal and hearing from people. It's especially on Instagram when people are sending messages. I love responding and interacting. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, well, thank you so much for what you're doing. We will make sure that all that info is in our in our show notes so that people can connect with uh, with that. But thanks for this conversation and just bringing a word of encouragement, especially about the reality that shame can be overcome and that our bodies are a good part of God's creation. So thanks for being part of the conversation today. Thank you, Jonathan. And thank you for everything that you do at Be Broken. It's such a fantastic ministry that you have, and you've paved the way, I know, for lots of other ministries. So thank you. You bet. Well, listeners, we're glad that you're with us. Um, Please go to those sites so you can learn more about Matt and the work they're doing at Restored Ministries. And uh, we look forward to having you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio program. So take care. Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.